bow together in prayer. Maybe today the light bulb has come on and you've realized that you've the forgiveness that only comes from God and that working your way to heaven isn't enough and what Jesus has done you're ready to embrace you can tell him that right now you can tell him Lord I'm tired of living my own life and going my own way and I'm ready to surrender my life to you he is not far from you Maybe for some today, coming to the altar means that there's something in your life that 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 you know you haven't given to Him, and and you want Him to be Lord of all, but He's not Lord of all because you you're holding on to it, and you need to pry your own fingers from around it and give it to Him and trust Him. Maybe today you realize you have a cross to bear and you don't like bearing it. Oh, my brother and my sister, remember those who bear their cross will one day have a crown. When we bow and worship and cast all our crowns at the feet of Jesus. So come to the Father. In the name of the Son. today as we pray, as we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. If you have a Bible with you today, I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 9. Romans 9 today. Facebook Live, huh? That happens to me in the mirror about twice a day. <laughs> Who's this old guy? Who's this old guy looking back at me? Well, um, a little housekeeping here. If you picked up one of those folders um, that has the first chart in it and a Bible reading schedule and some of that stuff, first, if you didn't, you can pick one up. They're free of charge back at the Welcome Center. But if you have one, I I'm changing up my schedule. I'm switching number 20 and 21. I'm flopping them in order. So if that matters to some of you, if you want to prepare for next week, and I'd challenge you to do that, uh, I would encourage you to read these passages, Matthew 16, 13 through 19, Luke 22, 44 through 49, and 1 Corinthians 15, 58. So that's to help you prepare for next week and so next week we're going to be talking about um, what happens after Acts 12, kind of up to now, what God is doing in the world. But we're we're taking a break today. Well, well let's review the let's review the chart. Do we have a chart? Yes, we do. Um, so last week, if you look up uh, there in the middle, Acts 1, Acts 2, Acts 8, 10, 
that's what we covered last week. If you remember the, the birthing of the church and, and the beginning of the church, the, remember in Act 1 we were talking about Israel. God's channel of redemption was Israel. Now we're, we've moved to the church after the ascension of Jesus, coming the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. And then you get to, to, to Acts 10, and that's really kind of a watershed moment when, when Cornelius... Uh, as a Gentile, is brought into the family of God. And Peter, who was the number one leader in the church at that time, was like used. And God, in his sovereignty, put that together so that people would know that, you know, the, his, God's imprimatur was upon it, that he's bringing Gentiles into the kingdom. So the, the church is off to a great start, and we're going to talk some more about that again next week. But I want to, if you look on that down at the bottom, it says Israel, God's channel of redemption on the far left. And if you drop down on that little line, it says, if you can read that, Israel waiting, Israel waiting, okay? That's where we are. And I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the nation of Israel today because I think we started with Israel and Israel was everything, everything, everything. And all of a sudden, I'm talking about the church. So what happened to Israel? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a powerful story. Uh, about 100 years ago, Frederick the Great, king of Prussia was having a discussion with his chaplain and, and, and Frederick the Great had come under the influence of Voltaire, the, the, the French atheist, and he was beginning to question the, the veracity of scripture and, and questioning the gospel and, and all the things that he'd learned about religion. And so he said to his chaplain, he said, uh, if your Bible is true, it ought to be capable of very easy proof. So often when I ask you for proof, uh, of the inspiration of the Bible, you give me a large tome to read, which I'm have not. I don't have the time or the desire to do that. Give me proof. Give me proof of the inspiration of the Bible in one word. The chaplain replied, "Your Majesty, it is possible for me to answer your request literally. I can give you proof in one word." Frederick was quite cynical. He said, what is this magic word that carries such a weight of proof? And the chaplain replied, Israel. Israel. There are many other proofs. But I've got to tell you, it's a miracle. The continuing existence of a separate, distinct people, the people of Israel, all through these hundreds, even thousands of years, removed from their homeland, scattered throughout the world, yet Israel, the Jews, have been preserved as a distinct, one-of-a-kind people. And as you know, just within the last 75 years, a return to the land, which is significant. What is amazing about this is because, and I have to think that this is demonic, just to be honest, I think Satan was behind this, if you know anything about history, all through the years, the Jews have been persecuted. I mean, there, there have been evil men who have tried to remove them from the face of the earth. They have been the objects of hatred and scorn, some in the name of religion and some by atheists and some by I don't know what. But all kinds of people have tried to obliterate the Jews from the face of the earth and, and, and just within the last hundred years, Hitler's Holocaust, where six million Jews were killed. But there's still a Jewish people. 
the nation of Israel is back, and the people of Israel was maintained through all that. Now, you remember when we were making this transition, I talked about what Jesus said when he told the parable of the vineyards, and he said the vineyard stewards, they, don't, they rejected the prophets, they rejected Jesus, and basically to interpret the, the, the parable there in, in Matthew 21. And he says, so the keys of the kingdom have been taken from them. And then he also said in Matthew 16, the keys of the kingdom have been given to the church. So he said, what Israel used to be in the Old Testament, the church is today. Israel used to be the channel of redemption. Come to Israel, come to Israel, come to Israel. Now the, the channel of redemption is the church. Go to the world, go to the world, go to the world, and take the good news. Gentiles are in. <laughs> God's gone international. Okay? That's what's going on here. So, if that's true, God's got this new chapel, channel of redemption. Again, hmm, what's happening with Israel? Well, Israel, I believe, is waiting. I think they're waiting. I think the nation is waiting, the people are waiting. I remember my Bible college professor used to, to uh, talk about this, and he would talk about it like, like you've got the first team in and they're playing a football game, okay? And then somewhere along the way, he takes the first string out and he puts them over on the bench. And he brings in some other players and let them play. Israel is still on the bench. Okay? They're not in their civvies. They're not sitting up in the stands. They're on the bench. They got the uniforms on. Because there's a time coming when God's going to bring them back into his plan. And I, I'm going to try to unwrap that a little bit and how this all worked. And I'm going through Romans 9, 10, and 11. And I want to tell you, this is a very interesting uh, passage of Scripture. If you know anything about Romans, Romans 9 is one of our more difficult passages for us to wrap our minds around. 9, 10, and 11. And we always read these passages in terms of the, of the things that are difficult. But the thread that runs all through 9, 10, and 11 is this whole idea of what's happening with Israel. Now, we get lost in the weeds. I, I just, we do. In chapter 9, we get lost in all this teaching in here about predestination and election and the sovereignty of God. And I'm not going to unwrap all that for you, but if you want to sheet on that of how I kind of see that and these passages in Romans 9 and 10 and how I blend them together, there's a sheet on the back table, one, one page that I put together because it's... Um, it's, it's an interesting uh, situation we have trying to figure out all this. How does God weave together his election, his sovereignty, his free will, and the fact that you and I are responsible for the choices that we make? How does God blend all that together? You get to chapter 10 and we think of salvation. You know this verse probably, Romans 10, 9. Oh, it's one of the best known verses. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And we, a lot of us have used this in sharing the gospel with people and saying, you know, it's, it's believing in your head, it's understanding who Jesus is, but it's also declaring him as Lord, which is that surrender aspect. In other words, it can't just be in your head. It just can't be the intellectual understanding of who God is. There has to be coming to some place where I truly recognize that he is God in my life. Okay? And so we get lost in chapter 10 talking about salvation. And then we go to verse 13, which says what? It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's great. And we believe this. Now, this, we've got to blend this with, with chapter 9, the sovereignty of God and election and predestination. And this weave together. I won't tell you exactly how it works. No, I'm not. Uh, and then you get to verses 14 and 15, and we start talking about missions. 
We get lost in talking about the missionary call. What does it say? How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And we use this as a, as a call to missions and a call to go and reach people with the gospel. And we should. But Romans 9, 10, 11, all this is in the context of, of him dealing with the nation of Israel. So I'm going to hit some highlights. I'm not going to answer all your questions today. I'm not going to answer all your questions about Israel. I'm not going to answer all your questions about predestination, sovereignty of God, and election, because I can't. And um, I'm, I'm just not going to answer all your questions today. But I'm going to answer a few of your questions that you don't even know that you have. Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off for Christ, from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Listen, I want to tell you, here's a man, pause for a minute, here's a man who loves his people. He says, I'm not lying to you cut me out of the kingdom if we could save Israel. Wow. Wow. Back to the text. I could cut myself off for Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption as sons. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. It is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. What in the world is he talking about? Well, he traces the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the covenants and the patriarchs, all the way up to Christ, who was a Jew. And so he asks a question. Question, first question we ask today, has God's promises failed? God made all these promises to Abraham in, in Genesis 12. Remember that? I'll make you a mighty people. I will build this nation. I will do this. Has God's promises failed? Jeremiah 31, 35, and 36. This is what the Lord says. He who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and the stars to shine by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar, the Lord Almighty is His name. Only if those decrees vanish from my sight, declares the Lord, will Israel ever cease being a nation before me. So how's this working? Well, we have here in Romans, in verses 7 and 8, he says, not all Israel is Israel. Huh? He's saying not everybody who is physically a Jew not everyone who came out of the line of Abraham, part of that lineage, is really part of the family of God. In other words, he's making a difference between being a Jew by birth 
and being true Israel, which is being part of the family of God. What he's saying was even in the Old Testament, all Israel was not saved. And in fact, being a Jew doesn't make you, didn't make you right with God any more than living in America makes you a Christian. Any more than having Christian parents makes you a Christian. Or any more than being in church every Sunday makes you a Christian. Now, I, I, hold on to that thought. Jump to Romans 11, verse 1. Because this, this is all woven together. This is all part of uh, one fabric here. Verse 11, I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. You see, God, did God reject his people? Again, this is tied back to 9-6. Not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. They're spiritual Israel, the people who are part of the family of God. And he used the example of Isaac. Remember Abraham, Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember he chose Jacob? He didn't chose Esau. See, that's, 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 getting into, that's getting into Romans 9 where God, by his sovereignty, by his election, said, I chose Jacob when they were born, before they were born. I chose Jacob, not Esau. So we see even in the Old Testament in this idea that not all Israel were saved. There were some that were saved, and the ones that were saved were saved by faith. They were not saved by being Jews, and they were elected they were predestined, just as believers today are, people that come to faith. You say, well, Pastor, some of you, when I, you, your eyes glaze over when I say predestination, election, the sovereignty of God, and some of those things. What, what does that mean? And I'm not going to go through all of chapter 9, but it's basically this. God is God. God is sovereign. God can have mercy and will have mercy on whomever He chooses. No one can question him. Now, back to chapter 9, and I'm jumping around, but I hope this will kind of make some sense to you. Um, chapter 9, starting in verse 23. What if he did this, this whole plan of of, of, of the sovereignty of God and election and predestination. What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy whom he prepared in advance for glory? Even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. What he's saying here is God's promise hasn't failed. All the elect predestined Jews are saved and will be saved. And then he says also, and, the, and Gentiles that he's predestined, they'll be saved too. And then he quotes from the prophets Hosea and Isaiah from the Old Testament. And basically it's the same idea in the Old Testament. This is not a new idea that God saved his people that, and made a part of true spiritual Israel, the people that he had elected to salvation. And he does that today out of Gentiles, out of us. Chapter 10, I've, jumped, I've had 9 and I had 11. Let me give you a little bit of 10 here too. 
Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. And again, this heart of compassion. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge, since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Again, the question is, did God fail? He said, no, God didn't fail. Israel failed. They defaulted to what most religions default to. They try, they're trying to save themselves by good works. They're trying to have a righteousness of their own that they somehow can do enough good things that they're going to merit God's approval. If I'm good enough, I can go to heaven. That's the idea. And that, that's, that's what all false religions basically default to. I mean, that's their position. If I'm good enough, I can go to heaven. I don't know how I can overemphasize the grace of God. Hear me today. God is pure and holy and cannot tolerate any sin. It says in Revelation that there will be nothing impure in heaven. What's a man or a woman to do? <laughs> okay, what is it? Well, that's why we sing all the time about the grace of God. We get something we don't deserve. That's why we sing about the death of Jesus coming and dying in our place as a once-for-all sacrifice for our sin so that when God from heaven looks down on us, instead of seeing our filth and our brokenness and our sin and our hearts that are deceitfully wicked, instead of seeing all that, He sees the forgiveness, the blood of Christ. And He washes our sins as white as snow, as white as snow. That's why this is so important. And he's saying here, my, my brothers and sisters are trying to get their righteousness. Those are, my fellow Jews are trying to get their righteousness of their own accord. And you know people like that now. You talk to them and say, well, what, what does a person need to go, to go to heaven? You think you can go to heaven? They say, oh, yeah, I'm a good person. I've done more good things than bad things. Do you know that one? I've done more good. I think I've done enough good things. I try to live by the Ten Commandments. That's a joke. You can't, nobody can keep the Ten Commandments. You can't keep the Ten Commandments. I can't keep the Ten Commandments. We've already broken them. Now, I, you know, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's it. The Wana verse that all our Wana kids know, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. That's it. Hear me, no one, no one, no one, no one, nobody has ever been saved by their works. People weren't saved in the Old Testament by works. Not in the New Testament or any other time that you can invent. It's, it's just not. We all stand in need of the God's grace and forgiveness apart from our works. All of us. In chapter 11, we deal with the question, did God cast off his people? And he tells the story there of Elijah who thought he was the only true follower of God and God said no there's still 7,000 who hadn't bowed to Baal. Chapter 11 verses 5 and 6. So too at this present time there is a remnant chosen by grace and if by grace then it is no longer by works if it were by grace if it were grace would be no longer grace. There Paul is just he's driving this home again. 
He's saying even now, though, there's a remnant of people and, and that, that God has saved. Verses 7 through 10. What then? What Israel sought so earnestly, it did not obtain, but the elect did. The others were hardened. It is, as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes so that they could not see, and ears so that they could not hear, and to this very day. And David says, may their table become a snare and a trap a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. He's saying Israel did not obtain, but the elect, there were a group of people in the nation of Israel that did. And he's saying in this season now, after they have rejected him, and I go back to the parable of the vineyard, he sent time and again, he sent, he sent, his, he sent his stewards to come and collect what was his. He sent the prophets to preach to Israel. He sent his son Jesus. And time and again, time and again, they said no and no. And now it says God has hardened their hearts. He's blinded their eyes. Who are we to question God? I have a, I have a theory and I can't, I, can't, I can't unwrap this fully and all, but I think God gives light to everybody. I believe on some level God gives light to everybody. So I don't think any of us can ever say, I'm not responsible. I'm not responsible. God didn't elect me, so I'm not responsible. I don't think we can say that. Can I blend that together? No. That's a mystery to me. How that God is sovereign and I am responsible. That's a mystery. The, the last question is Romans 11, 11 and 12. Again, I asked, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. So, if God worked through, the, through Israel all of these years, and now God has invented and, and morphed into this new program, the church, that's His channel of redemption, so, so Israel has stumbled. Can they recover? Yes, they can. And there's an interesting concept here. He's saying, I've brought it now, this light, to the Gentiles, and I'm going to use it one day to make the Jews jealous, to make the Jews envious of what we have. Wow. Then he tells a great story. He, he paints a word picture for us. He... Um, he talks about grafting. Have any of you ever done any grafting? I'm curious. Anybody here? Yeah, I see one. Anybody? A couple, maybe? Yeah. My, 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 my dad, when he retired, decided he wanted to learn how to do this. And so he started taking a limb from a fruit tree that he liked, and he would graft it into this other one. Like he had some trees that were dying that had really good pears on them, and he grafted them into another tree that was young and vital and had lots of life to, to, to do that. And what it says here is that Israel was God's true olive tree. But the branches, it tells here, the branches were broken off. Some of the branches were broken off. Well, let me read it to you. Verses 17 through 24. If some of the branches have been broken off and you, talking about to the Gentiles, you as a wild olive shoot have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not boast over those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I can be grafted in. 
granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith, do not be arrogant, but be afraid, for if God did not spare the natural branches, He will not spare you either. That's a warning. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fail, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in His kindness, otherwise you will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature, were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? So, Israel's rebellion is like these branches were broken off of the tree that had true life. And we were the wild olive branch, and God wanted to cultivate us, and so He brought us back into His tree of life. And He is giving life to us today. But He's saying if, if the Jews individually or corporately turn to Him away from their unbelief and turn to Him, He says, well, how much more will He, he embrace them? How much more will He bring them back into His life? They're going, to be both, they're, going to be, they're going to be grafted back in, and that's going to be Act chapter 3, but I don't want to get there yet because that's yet to come. That's coming. That's the future. Right now, the nation of Israel is waiting, standing on the sideline, um, they're on pause, <laughs> to use a DVD analogy. God has put them on pause. Verse 24 is going to happen. God is going to graft the natural branches back in. Verse 25 I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And so, all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them that I will take away their sins. I want to stop there. Israel, Israel is waiting, and God has hardened them, and they're waiting on the sideline now until what happens? It tells us right there in the Scripture. It tells until the full number of Gentiles has come in. I, I think this is analogous to chapter, chapter 24, 25 of Matthew. I can't remember which one where it says that the end's not going to come until the gospel has been preached to the ends of the earth and until every Gentile is going to be saved. You see, I think there's a number. I think God knows that one day, 2,273,527,222 people are going to be saved. I don't know that. I made that up. But there's a number. There's a number of people that God has, has called to Himself, has elected, that's drawing to Himself. There is a full number of Gentiles He's going to bring in. You say, can God know that? He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows when a sparrow falls to the earth. Sure he does. It's his business. It's what he does. And then the door's going to be shut. Like, like the door of the ark. I think about that, you know, when they got... 
Noah and his family, they got on the, eight, got on the boat, and it says God shut, the, God shut the door. And God says there's a full number of Gentiles being brought in, and then he's going to shut that off. And then we go to Act 3 in the end times and what God's going to do. And then he's bringing Israel back on the main line, bringing them back in the game. He's hitting the pause button and we're moving on with the nation of Israel. It's really interesting. It's, it, this passage, the way he deals with it, is God has used Israel's sin and rebellion and unbelief to open up the way for us as Gentiles. And he's going to use the Gentiles in the end to open up a way that ends up leading to the Jews being envious and to the conversion and bringing the Jews back into his program. God's plan. I don't know that I would have done it that way or you would have done it that way, but that's the way God's going to do it because he tells us. And what God does in this Bible, what does he do? He tells us what he's going to do before he does it because no man will ever thwart the plan of God. No man. All right, let me see if I can wrap this up. And I know I've wandered all, all over, and I'm, I'm, I'm not very clear, so I'm going to rely on James Montgomery Boyce, and I kind of adapted his outline of this and give you six principles, and maybe this might help you hold on to it. Let me, let's read this. God's purpose for Israel have not failed because all whom God has elected to salvation are or will be saved. That's what we have in Romans 9. God has revealed that not all Israel would be saved, and some Gentiles would be. Again, not all Israel is Israel. Number three, the failure of the Jews to believe was their own fault, not God's. God holds them accountable for that. For some Jews have believed and been saved, even in the darkest of times. There's always been a remnant of true believers, and, and, and that's, you know, Anna and Simeon, Mary and Joseph. Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, even in the days, the early days when, when Christ was coming to earth, there's always been a remnant. The salvation of the Gentiles is meant to arouse Israel to envy and to their salvation. And last, in the end, all Israel will be saved. Now when he says all Israel will be saved, does that mean every single person? I don't know. I don't know. But corporately, corporately, it seems to imply that corporately it's as though every person is saved that's in Israel. And God brings them back into his plan. Now, will we live to see that plan? Huh. Uh, some people think yes. Well, let me just say this. I've talked about that Israel has been restored as a nation, which seems to be one of the triggers that God has pointed to as one of the things that will happen before the end times, before the time of Jacob's trouble. Uh, we should know it has to do with Israel. He calls the tribulation the time of Jacob's trouble. Uh, not the time of the Gentiles' trouble, but the time of Jacob's trouble. Now, so we've been on pause this week. We've talked about Israel. And, and maybe this helps you understand some because I think sometimes people now are like, well, what's going on with Israel is, you know, Israel is God's chosen people, yes, but what's going on with them now? And right now I think they're, they're, they're sitting on the bench. They're waiting to get back in the game. Does God love them? Yes. Are, are some of them still coming to him? Yes. And there's a whole uh, Messianic Jews, people that have found Jesus as the true Messiah. So God is still bringing, electing some of them to salvation and bringing them to God. For us, we don't need to worry about Israel. We need to worry about the Gentiles. 
We need to worry about what we need to be doing. And, and our, our mandate has been to go and tell. Take the good news everywhere we go. And we'll get back to that next week. We'll talk about what's happening in the church now and, and kind of see the plan of God from Acts 13 up to today. So we'll cover a lot of ground next week. And so uh, be back with us for that. If you have questions, um, where's Garen? Where is Garen when I need him? <laughs> no. <laughs> he always does that to me. When I get, he, yeah, he does something and he say, ask Al when I'm, he's back here. No, if you have questions, I'd love to chat with you about this. Let's stand together for our closing prayer. As always, the, um, hear me today. And when, when I talk about election and predestination, I don't want anybody to think, oh my, and get scared and say, well, even if I want to come to God, I can't. We have to couple that with, with Romans 10, 13, where it says everyone who truly calls upon God's name will be saved. So I, hear me, if you want to know God, if you want to call upon God, if you want to yield your life to God, I believe, I believe that that is a sign that God has called you, that you are elected to salvation if, if you want to respond to Him. I think those things work hand in glove. And again, as always, if I can talk to you about how you stand with God and what you need and where you are, and that whole journey would love to. Father, be at work in our lives. Thank you for your wonderful, mysterious plan and just the fact that you've given us some insights into it. Lord, we, we don't pretend to understand all of your ways. You are great and mighty and beyond your ways are higher than, as high as the heavens are above the earth. But we trust you and we believe you. Thank you for what you have given to us. In Jesus' name.